Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. Hello, welcome to Unplugged with Brandon Steiner, and I've got another amazing, what else, guest, David Horace Hager. And uh, David wrote a bestseller, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Trust Edge, also the Daily Edge, but uh, really, um, he hits on a subject that I think is critical, which is trust. Speaks all over the world about this subject matter. So welcome, uh, David. How are you? Hey, fantastic. Great to be with you, Brandon. Well, thanks for thanks for taking a few minutes about probably one of the more important things, which is trust. How do you come up with this? How do you come? How do you come up with this book? This idea about trust and what brought you to this? Well, you know, over a decade ago, I was looking at companies and saying the problem they think they're having is not the real problem. It's a trust problem. They're not that. That's not the real problem. That's a trust problem. So I started. You know, started for me, led to my graduate work. That fueled my passion because I started to see research-based evidence that the real problem in organizations is trust. I would argue nothing is a leadership problem, a generations problem, even an engagement problem. At the core, it's really a trust problem. And then grad work, that hit some things. The book came out. That became interesting to some key people. I started using it in companies. Now we've seen case studies where people have used the eight-pillar framework, the eight pillars of trust. They've seen, they've gain market share by 10%. We've had people drop attrition by 18% in one year. We've had people save two to four million in attrition in one year using the work. We've had people triple sales in 90 days using the the, the framework. So um, that fueled the passion. Then I started using my own life and my own marriage and my own business. And that really fueled the passion. And probably for those reasons, I became incredibly passionate about uh, how a lack of trust is the biggest expense of organizations, and it's the key asset you can have. And there is a real way to build it that goes beyond, you know, integrity and honesty. Well, let me ask you, can you give me an example? I know you mentioned the eight pillars of trust. Can you get a little into the eight pillars or a couple of examples of, of how trust plays such a vital role when you have it and when you don't? Happily. So eight pillars, basically these were the traits of the most trusted leaders and organizations and brands from that original research. Now we continue, we've vetted them for over a decade. We've worked with everything from pro sports teams to global governments. These, I would argue that these eight traits are what builds a trusted brand leader organization, successful or not. And they are clarity, we trust the clear, we mistrust or distrust the ambiguous. Compassion, we trust those that care beyond themselves. Character, we trust those that do what's right or what's easy. Competency, you can have character. I can trust you to take my kids to the ball game, but that doesn't mean I'll trust you to give me a root canal. So you got to stay competent, fresh, relevant, capable. Commitment, we trust those that stay committed in the face of adversity. Connection, those that are willing to connect and collaborate. People say now, was that really authentic research? They all sound like C's. Well, seven out of the eight came out of the original research of C's. The seventh pillar, contribution, actually, the first words that came out were results. Uh, outcomes, performance. It turns out we trust those that contribute results. You can have compassion, but if you don't uh, contribute results too, we don't trust you. And the final one was consistency. Whatever you do all the time, sameness, good or bad, I'll trust you. It's the only way to build a reputation. It's the only way to build a brand. If you're late all the time, I will trust you to be late. So you got to be consistent. So those are the eight. Um, I'll give one fresh example that I haven't used uh, much with your audience, and that is uh, when Caribou Coffee shot up to number two in um, 
uh, to Starbucks, and it should have been others. It should have been at the time probably Dunkin' Donuts or Tim Hortons or somebody else. And, and when Caribou did it, they really got clear. People want to overcomplexify. They want to make things so complicated. And they came up with this idea, kind of the Nordstrom approach, where they boil it down to one page so these frontline baristas would understand how to act a certain way. And they didn't overcomplicate it. They didn't give them this big manual. They gave them an acronym, BAMA, B-A-M-A. They said, be, now, here's what you do as a barista at this Caribou, co at Caribou Coffee Shops. Be excellent, not average. Act with urgency. Make a connection and anticipate needs. And the only reason we started researching Caribou is we started to see this done so consistently. And I would argue that the reason Caribou is um, not doing as well today is they've lost their way in this and they've overcomplicated and they probably had some as they grew so much they probably had some big firms come in and say oh we got to make that policy manual bigger we got to do all this and now when i ask people and i see how caribou in many cases is different than it used to be they don't know bama anymore it's not consistent so how did that ha you know be excellent okay they showed them some ways to do that act with urgency when we studied caribou we started uh timing them uh make from when we ordered a mocha to when we picked it up and they were twice as fast as all on consistently as any of the starbucks the dunn brothers the dunkin donuts the, all the other coffee houses and all they did is you know they taught them a little way to you know act with a little bit of urgency then they taught them make a connection and in those days when you went to caribou these frontline you know minimum wage paid baristas they had little ways to just kind of make a connection you felt like it was authentic some questions some smile and it was consistent across these you know 40 states or whatever caribou coffees were in and then they anticipate needs. This is actually the point that I started doing the research on caribou success on, and that's when I started to see, when I wrote my first book, I like to get out of the office, and I go to this caribou, and when I ordered my drink, I always, if a, with a coffee drink, order a glass of wa want a glass of water. They started to have that water ready for me before I got to the front of the line. They started to have my coffee drink ready for me before I got to the front of the line. Then they noticed where I wanted to write was in a far corner of the caribou uh, that was quiet. And if they saw that open, when they saw me walk in the door, even if there was a line, they would take a glass of water and they would set it at that spot, knowing that that would then be reserved for me. And uh, they just had this way of anticipating needs. So all this is saying is, they boil it down to a simple, actionable framework for frontline employees so they got consistency across the whole organization because they didn't know the whole policy manual, but hundreds of caribous, these frontline baristas were acting the same way. They were just doing Bama. What would you say to Donald Trump, who doesn't obviously has some trust issues? I mean, what you're suggesting there, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I can say a lot of things about Donald, but... With a, let's start with a maybe for him a positive. How did he even get elected? Since we're talking about the clarity pillar and one way to build clarity, Bama, uh, or simplifying, let's think about Donald. I asked one of my be uh, very close friends, a clarity expert. He does work for Procter and Gamble, for campaigns. Um, he's written a few best-selling books on it. I when if you think back to when he uh, the March before the election, when he actually became viable. Um, my friend, their company, did, did research on every speech, 16 Republicans and two or three Democrats at the time. And that was the time when, when uh, Donald Trump was like, it, it's a possibility he could win. And I said, why in the, what is going on here? This seems crazy for, for Democrats, yeah, but for Republicans even. 
And this friend of mine said, well, I'll tell you something. We looked through all the speeches, every single word of all the speeches given by all those candidates. And if you listen to Hillary that month, what did she say? I have no idea. You listen to Jeb Bush, who this person actually liked, said, I don't know what he said. You listen to Donald Trump, and in 45 minutes, he said two phrases 45 times or more. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make America great again, make America great again, make America great again, get a wall to the wall to the wall to the wall. He said those two phrases. He said, you might think that's silly, but I believe that this person, the reason Donald Trump won is he was so simple and so clear. And he said at the time, building a wall didn't have to do with building a wall. People didn't actually think he was going to build one. It just stood for, I'm going to do something. And people wanted government to do something so well that's he, fair but how do you get the trust back though i mean he's got him can you can he get can he get trust back you can rebuild trust but i'll tell you what he's got a, he, it's going to be tough for him it, he's got to change some things and he's just not he's not changing how things. do you he's get trust back but, but move, let's move to something a little more in the center here forget about trump okay, how, do you build, I'll tell you how, how do you build, build trust, trust back when you lose it right there's only one way we have a step process if you're VW or VP, but it always comes down to one thing, and it's not the apology. You might have to start with a sincere apology, but the only way to rebuild trust ever, if you have the chance, only way to rebuild it is to make and keep a commitment. And and th this is the problem. People don't want to do it. So a friend of mine, CEO from the Netherlands, came over to America. He'd been here for two months. I said, what do you notice different in America? He said, you want to know the truth, David? I said, yeah. He said, you've got a bunch of lying apologizers. In America, they all, they all say they're sorry and they don't mean it. I'm sorry I'm late. No, you're not. You're late every time. And so the, he said, you know, we have these people that think, oh, if they just say they're sorry, they're fine. It might start with an apology, but the only way to rebuild trust with someone is actually to make and keep a new commitment. And that's what he has to do. And if he got authentic, and he did apologize, actually, uh, and he made and actually kept a new commitment – uh, that was aligned with character and clarity and communication, all these compassion, all these things, he would have a chance. But, you know, we're not seeing it. Talk to me about The Daily Edge for a minute because that's an important book. Now, obviously, you know, your your go-to, The Trust Edge, is Wall Street bestseller, New York Times bestseller, and mm -hmm. it really uh, catches a lot of people's attention. As I've seen around the country, you've, you've, you've been anything less than a rock star. Talk to me about The well, Daily Edge. What brings uh, you there? Yeah. So the trust edge is the marquee 367 page all around trust and how you actually build it. Everything we do out of Trust Edge Leadership Institute is around trust. The Daily Edge was simply, um, it's a, a tip-based book. It's three pages a tip. There's like 35, 36 tips in there that I use. Not so much research, just simple ideas of how can I be more effective, more efficient, and more productive without running over people on the way. So I saw all these productivity books, and either they were so long I'd beat a page 100 and I didn't get a productivity tip, or they would show how to do productivity, be more productive, but it would smash people on the way, and relationships are my life. So uh, that's why this, this, you know, it's a tip book, how to have uh, 10 or less emails in your inbox, even if you get 300 a day like I do, how you have a completely clear desk. I used to think uh, creative people didn't have clear desks, and I learned if I have a clear desk, I can be way more creative. Uh, how to get the most important things done on a daily basis, the DMA strategy, difference-making actions, how to prioritize ideas. This is a, the most this is a time management idea. book. It kind of is. Two ideas that stand out probably uniquely are the 90-day quick plan, the six questions um, to 
that help people get absolutely clear and move forward on any key priority in 90 days. That's we hear it all the time. 90 day quick plan. The other idea around uh, seeds, S-E-E-D-S, the, the idea of, I started to notice people go to all these big conferences and they, they get all motivated and they get all excited and then they go back and they do nothing and we started looking at why do people actually accomplish, you know, go back and do nothing. We looked at the commonalities of people that actually do important things and it was simple things they did. You see people that are successful that actually, uh, whether they move the needle in business or in life, they have a source of strength beyond themselves, whether that's their faith or their family or something. And people that don't have anything beyond themselves, it just, it, the legacy doesn't last. And so uh, it's a simple idea, seeds. Make sure you're planting your seeds first every day. Um, I would recommend people check out the 90-day quick plan, that idea. By the way, when people ask me, how did I lose 52 pounds in five and a half months? It is the first tip, it's the 90-day quick plan, those six questions of exactly how to get clear to move anything. It's not a healthcare idea, it's a clarity idea. Uh, so, a couple quick ideas for you. Hey, what do you think about the NFL, though, as far as trust? Do you think there's like they're going through a trust issue with their fans right now as far as what's going on with them, their players, their former players? Undeniably. I mean, you don't have people coming to the, uh, you know, booing your, your, your chairman off the, uh, at the, uh, uh, the combine or the... Uh, um, the draft day, you know, without some major frustration. Um, I, I think they are going through it. I think, you know, it's such a, I, it's such a loved sport and part of our, our country that I, I think that, uh, you know, and even globally, I think it's, it's a little bit of an interesting topic because it's, um, it's gaining uh, fans globally probably more than ever before, and yet there's bigger frustration at home uh, maybe more than ever before. So I would just talk to the, the, some of the leadership at the top and, and say we need to have consistent frameworks for making decisions. I think, I think some of the problems over the last years, uh, people didn't know why. There wasn't a clear why from the NFL on making certain decisions, and if they would have had a clear why, it would have helped fans and the public actually buy in because they never heard a clear why of making certain decisions. There, you know, there wasn't buy-in. Interesting. How are you doing otherwise? Are you like what's what's been going on with you overall? I mean, what what do you see happening these days for you for the next few months? You know, I'm uh, I'm. Last week I was uh, Montreal, Toronto, Atlanta, New Orleans, Minneapolis as far as uh, sharing messages. So I, in our organization, we do a few things. Our whole mission is develop trusted leaders and organizations globally. Uh, like I said, work with everything from businesses mostly to global governments to pro sports teams to that end. We do it in three different ways. One, we inspire trust, and that's a lot of my 100 speaking events a year. Um, the the second way is we index it. We use an enterprise trust index for people to uh, show exactly where they have gaps, and we give them a real way to build it. And then we, the final way is we equip. We equip people to train their own companies and their own organizations, and we certify them to train ongoing. And so some of our bigger projects are around uh, equipping and certifying that their trainers and facilitators to tr to create a trust edge culture in organizations, and that's been hugely um, rewarding and fun and exciting. So, all those things, all those three things are happening all the time. And the the, the 
the outside piece of what we do is we put out one of the bigger pieces of research on on trust as far as uh, trust and leadership and trust in business, trust in generations and all that kind of thing. It's called the Trust Outlook. People can see the white paper on it if they'd like to go to trustedge.com. You can get a free copy of the newest data around uh, how trust is affecting leaders and organizations, engagement and, and all that kind of thing. So um, so those things we're up to. One of the, you know, one of the more interesting one is one of the biggest top uh, ten um, companies in the world that we're doing a pretty significant uh, culture transformation with as far as trust is concerned. So that's that's fun to see if we can make a dent. Um, we're doing some work, you know, globally trying to make a dent in the global trust crisis. But um, uh, so do you, you know, think there I'm is, also, a, just on this final, do so you think there's a global trust, we're in a global trust crisis? I would argue it passionately. I mean, when the World Economic, a few years ago, in the World Economic Forum, they said, what is the crisis, biggest crisis globally? Even during the financial meltdown, those top leaders at the World Economic Forum said, it's not, number one is not a financial crisis. Number one is actually a trust crisis. And it's true, a lack of trust costs. Look, uh, one of the pieces of research shows where countries where citizens trust each other more, they have higher, they have lower poverty. And this is true across their GDP every single day. Uh, I was just in a country where you don't know if you're going to, an entrepreneur doesn't know if they're going to get a license to do business in one month, one year, or ever. And that's costing their GDP. The lack of trust right now, North Korea, China, Russia, that wherever there's a lack of trust, it's enormous cost because skepticism costs, just like it costs in business. When my team doesn't trust each other, innovation goes down, creativity goes down, efficiency goes down because they won't share all their ideas, right? And that's the same in governments. That's the same in, in big business and small business. That's the same in sport, pro sports teams or franchises where whenever I, if I can trust you to bring your best, not, no one has to be perfect to be trustworthy. But when they um, are trustworthy, that is the signature. That is how they become, you know, most successful. The most trusted in their industry are also the most successful in impact and the bottom line and everything else. And that's the same. You know, as, as trust goes down in our country, as trust goes down globally, this crisis affects everybody, affects everybody else. And look, I mean, TSA, why do we have TSA? It's, it's frustrating to travel today. Why? Because of a lack of trust. I went back to my university. I look at my P.O. box that I used to be able to grab my stuff out of my post office box. Now there's a lock on it uh, 26 years later. What's the cost of that? The cost is a few bucks for the lock. The cost is also time. I got to open a lock every time I go in. Every time you see a lack of trust, you see a cost. And there's an enormous cost in our world right now because of a lack of trust globally. Wow, so it really goes from, uh, from I mean, everywhere. It touches everybody. It touches everything. Absolutely. And every family. I mean, everything of value is built on trust, from the greatest financial institutions to every good relationship you have. So you think you don't trust your spouse? That skepticism costs. It costs in stress. It costs in time. It costs in wondering. If you don't trust your bank, it costs, and oh, now I'm going to get this, um, you know, got to have a check that so balances in place. I don't trust my employees. All of a sudden, I got to, uh, I'm instead of pushing the organization forward, I'm having to look at, uh, have these things set up to check their emails and check this and check that. And, and you know, it, it, it poisons or it amplifies growth, growth in every single situation. Trust, you know, impacts. All right, Dave. Well, thank you so much. The Trust Edge, Daily Edge, and thank you for your words. I mean, 
gets you thinking, you know, there's always about, you know, the business you got to take care of and all the things, but the underlying common denominator, trust. That's right. And look at your business. You've got trusted relationships with some people that won't talk to anybody else. And you know, they'll talk to you. I've heard the stories. I've seen the people when I've had the privilege of coming out to Yankee Stadium or coming out to the coming out to your headquarters and seen some of those folks. And I won't name their names, but everybody would know them. And they trust you, even though they won't trust anybody else. Not just not just with their you know the memorabilia, but with their lives. They talk to you. They share stuff because they trust you. And that is a huge you know, uh, that speaks to who yeah. you are in your business, but it also speaks to the efficiency that Steiner, that the company uh, gets to have because of it. So even when you've had things happen where people question things, the core people know, hey, they can trust you, and that it matters. That gets us, that gives uh, the you know, the benefit of the doubt in, in when once in a while something comes up. Um, you know, so anyway, I just think um, I. Appreciate you, and it's a great, uh, great privilege to be on. And thank you. Um, it's yeah. a good conversation. Appreciate. Thank you. You got me thinking about some stuff, you know. And you're right. You know, take a second, work on trust. Not only just work on the return on the investment and on the bottom line. <laughs>